Nothing on this podcast is intended as legal advice nor does it create an attorney-client relationship. Please be advised that this podcast also contains spoilers and swears. Welcome to Murder, She Woke a podcast about indistinguishable male white doctors. I'm your host, Laura. And I am your host, Elizabeth. So, Laura, can I tell you a secret? Uh, Yes. One day you're fine, and by you, I mean me. And the next day you're shopping for a cat stroller on Amazon. So I just want to, like, let you know that's where my head's at right now. I don't really understand the implications you're making because i've had a cat stroller for a year and a half now well this cat stroller is going to take my cat on a cross-country adventure because as you know i'm moving and everything is a disaster and a mess so that's fine but how have you been i hear it's been exciting over at your place. Yeah, I I don't know that I would say exciting. So I I do have to say that we take our Circaticus Finch on backyard adventures in the stroller just from one side of the yard to the other. But he enjoys it. Are there birds? Does he get to see the birds? He does get to see the birds. Excellent. That's how you know it's quality cat material is when you have birds involved. So I had a big birthday. Not a big birthday. I had a birthday. That was nice. Michelle cooked me sautéed crab legs and grilled lobster. So that was a nice little feast. We also had a big event on our podcast page. Would you like to talk about that? Uh, Yeah. So we got a whopping one-star review. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, this person just kind of gave us the one-star review and left. We didn't get any kind of... Well, I guess we got a one-star rating. We didn't get a review. So... Yeah, there was no constructive feedback. There was no, like, you should talk more or less about cats. There was... There was there were no... Like, you can't just leave a one-star review in Jet. You gotta give us some... Gotta give us some guidance. Right. Yeah, so... If you're out there, Mr. or Mrs. One-star review, hit us up. Email us. What's our email? It is... On our show page. I forgot what it is. It's something. We also have a website and you can go there and send us constructive criticism or you can send us... Yeah, just let us know. Let us know. Or you can just tell us how terrible we are, which is fine because, you know, you suck, whoever you are. I still still think it was that guy from the thing that we talked about. (laughs) It probably was that guy from the thing. Can we call can we call him Brian? I feel like his name is Brian. It's definitely not Brian, but sure we'll, we can call him Brian. If you're sure that's the one name he isn't, then you're not accidentally going to name him and risk further bad reviews. So, shout out to Brian. Oh, so I have really gotten into Wordle lately. Have you tried Wordle? Yeah, I'm not very good at Wordle. I find that very hard to believe. You have an outstanding vocabulary. That's because I read War and Peace instead of having friends when I was in high school. I'm going to give you a wordle tip. That the words are not plurals? No, I didn't get that far. But I'm saying, do you have a, do you have a first word? No, that you I, 
I've looked at different strategies and I've been playing long enough to theorize that those strategies just don't work for me. Before I gave up because I didn't want to be a joiner, I'll give you my first word. Because if you look at this word, this secret word, it's uh-huh. not the word. But the trick is, is that it has most, if not all of the most common yeah. letters used in words in it. Do you know why the QWERTY keyboard is the way that it is? Yes, it was because pe- most people are right-handed. And the guy that invented the typer thing, everyone was clogging up the keys. So he put the most used keys on the left side. Yes. And he also like tried to space them out enough so that you weren't hitting the same area of the keyboard over and over again, which is why you have, you know, your E on one side and like the vowels are spread out. Also... That is where the saying, mind your P's and Q's came from. So something to do with like, there was a a person that had to like clean the keys every night and you have to like take the keys off. This was like back in the, I don't even know when this stuff was invented, but you had to take the keys off and clean them. And if you weren't careful, you would put the P's and the Q's on backwards and it's not quite the same letter. That's also like the kind of same thing where upper and lower case letters came from in the old timey days. Like you would put the capital letters at the top, the upper part of the case, and the small letters on the lower Mm -hmm. case. And I think, yeah, so we're just full of useless trivia on keyboards. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to know the secret word, my special my special word, you can donate to our Patreon, which is also on the website, or you can send me money directly. And what's our website address? It's MurderSheWoke.com. Hey, Laura. Do you want to discuss a season one, episode 21, Armed Response? Yeah, maybe we should just cut to the actual podcast now so we start this episode where a very i don't know if angry is the right word a very animated white man in a hat is yelling into a car phone i think it's about a contract you can tell that he's a lawyer because he is saying lawyer words and and being like a hustler so that's how we know and The best way that I can describe him is he looks like a human version of Rich Texan from The Simpsons. So I called him Tex. And I called him Tex because there was this really famous case in criminal case in Georgia a few years ago where this attorney from Texas, his name is Tex MacGyver. Tex wasn't his real first name, but his nickname was Tex. He says he accidentally shot his wife, but he shot his wife, I think it was twice, in the back. He said he was asleep. It was a very long case, very interesting case. But but this guy on Murder, She Wrote reminded me of this lawyer, Tex MacGyver, who was also from Texas. So I just nicknamed him Tex. This guy is in a limousine. He's yelling at his car phone. He's on the way to the airport. And this airport happens to be the exact same airport that we saw in episode nine, um, which was we're off to kill the wizard. I'm not sure where we are in Texas, but I'm going to assume one of the 
bigger metro areas, maybe. I don't know. Maybe it's a regional airport. Who knows? But it's the same one, the Chicago airport, that Jessica Fletcher got kidnapped at by the guy with the gun in episode nine. I thought I was crazy, and then I sent Laura the screenshots, and turns out I'm right. So Yeah, that was an excellent catch by you. It's also like I've been watching the show too much. He's going to pick up Jessica from the airport. And once she gets there, he's all turning on his Texas charm. And he's got a over-exaggerated accent. And he's using folksy sayings. And Jessica is there because she has to testify on behalf of one of his clients at a trial. But the problem is at least for me, is that they're very vague about what the trial is. The best that I could figure out is that somebody was supposedly plagiarizing or ripping off someone else's work and the person whose work was supposedly being ripped off was mad. And so Jessica is supposed to be a witness on behalf of the alleged ripper offer, but she makes the comment about plagiarism And I would just like to say, and this has been bugging me since I watched it, plagiarism is not a crime, nor is it a civil cause of action. So we'll talk more about that later. But she's there because she's an expert on plagiarism. Everybody in the airport is wearing a cowboy hat, I swear to God, even the kids. And speaking of kids, a bunch of children knock Jessica over when she is out getting her luggage into the car. And apparently she hurt her leg and you can see the dollar signs in Tex's eyes. He's so excited because, oh my God, there is a lawsuit in front of him. He makes all these big noises about gross negligence. He's going to get her hundreds of thousands of dollars, blah, 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 blah. She just wants to forget it, but her foot is hurt. So he takes her to a medical facility kind of like almost like a hospital complex but it's like a private hospital it's called what the samuel garver institute or something and there's multiple buildings and apparently it's like a concierge hospital for rich people to go to and sit around and be rich together it's a hospital where they don't take insurance like everything is built directly the Star of the show is Dr. Garver, a.k.a. Dr. Sam. And we call him Dr. Oldie because we have to distinguish him from two other doctors who come around later. So Dr. Oldie is, you know, holding court and he's talking about Jessica's leg. Oh, she's got a fracture. And then somebody who we've nicknamed Nurse Barbie pops into the room and mentions that there's another patient on the ward who's not feeling well. And apparently he's got a bad case of the SADS. And Dr. Oldie is like, yeah, fuck that. Who cares? Bootstraps, etc. And then Nurse Barbie kind of doesn't know what to do. But we are not supposed to like Dr. Oldie because he's an asshole. We also meet young white guy doctor who I think Laura has nicknamed Dr. Handsome. That was one name for him. Dr. Handsome. I went with Dr. Young Guy. Just to distinguish, we've got Dr. Oldie, Dr. Young Guy, and in the middle is Dr. Middle-Aged. Yes, we'll meet him in a minute. 
But young Dr. White Guy is supposedly a former street tough from the south side of Chicago, even though he, like, looks like somebody who moisturizes his hands when he goes to sleep at night. Apparently, he had to fight his way up from the rough and tumble world of Southside Chicago in the 80s, which I imagine was pretty hairy, but he didn't exactly look like somebody who'd come from the Southside of Chicago in the 1980s. But what do I know? Well, he did have a chain, a gold chain, like a badass. Yeah. So he, you could tell he was a young badass because he was wearing jewelry and he wasn't wearing a tie. Some person, some carbon-based life form wheels in a an individual who I've named Loud Texas Lady because she is a Loud Texas Lady. I probably put her in her 60s. She's busted up her leg. She's bitching about how she can't like drink whiskey and fuck at this private hospital. And they're all kind of just chatting about what's wrong with them. Loud Texas Lady, she kind of reminded me of Kathy Bates a little bit. For my criticism of Loud Texas Lady, I actually kind of really liked her. She was one of the people I liked the most in all of this, to be honest with you. Because she's a little over the top, but, like, she doesn't give a fuck. She's probably the type of woman who, like, slaps doctor's asses when they walk by. (laughs) She would probably do that to Dr. Young White Guy. She would, like, slap and make some comment about, like, the quality of the meat or something. The lawyer, apparently, for being busy, Tex seems to also live at the hospital because I guess he has lots of clients there. But he's, again, giving Jessica the hard sell, is insisting, no, no, but he's trying to shove it down her throat and he's talking big dollar signs and everything's bigger in Texas. Eventually, we meet Dr. Middle-Aged White Guy. He and Dr. Young White Guy are apparently enemies because... Dr. Oldie pit them against each other, I guess, for fun. They are bringing in a third-party doctor to replace one of them, but he hadn't decided who it was yet, so they're, like, at each other's throat. And there's a, a party at Dr. Oldie's that night. Nurse Barbie isn't invited, but Dr. Middle-Aged White Guy is, and it doesn't appear that Dr. Young White Guy is. Nurse Barbie spills the beans on Dr. Sam, Dr. Oldie, to Jessica. Apparently, he's some kind of Machiavellian puppet master, and he rules over this hospital complex. We don't see a lot of Mr. Oldie or Dr. Oldie in this episode, so it's really hard to get the impression of him as, like, anything more than an old white guy. But supposedly, he's some kind of taskmaster. They're at the fancy party at Dr. Oli's house, and we meet two people who I had nicknamed Poopy Sleeve Lady and Wyatt Earp. Do you recognize them from anything? My nightmare. An old-timey photograph? I don't know. No! He was the manager, the baseball manager in Major League with Charlie Sheen. He was also Nash Bridges' dad in the show Nash Bridges. Poopy Lady and Wyatt Earp are apparently a married couple. She has all the money. She's leading him around by the nose. They're bickering. She's going to go to Dr. Oldie to get her special checkup, wink, wink. <laughs> and she's she's way too Texas, but in a very annoying way, unlike Loud Texas Lady, who is awesome. The phone rings, and Nurse Barbie's on the line, and she needs Dr. Oldie to authorize some tests. He yells at her and basically tells her to go to hell. He's in the middle of this fancy party. Dr. Oldie struts around his party. He humiliates Dr. Middle-Aged White Guy by being a catty bitch. 
And then he tells him that he's invited Dr. Young White Guy to brunch, so don't feel so fucking special, Dr. Middle-Aged White Guy. Did you catch that when they shake hands to say goodnight, that Dr. Oldie takes out a handkerchief and wipes his hand off? No. Yeah. Catch. But <laughs> what a little bitch. I don't know if you've ever seen Monk, that that show. Oh, I Tony love Shul. Monk. Yeah. Like I feel like that, but like a less adorable version. Okay. Quick sidebar. So the lieutenant and Monk, what's his name? Oh, are you talking about Sadomayo? Yeah, he was but Blue Bill in Silence of the Lamb. When I figured that out and I was watching Monk, I'm like, I'm not going to be the same after this. Back at the compound, Jess is in the, I guess, the lounge trying to get tea out of a vending machine. And there's a guy sitting at the TV staring into space and she walks over to him and tries to talk to him and he spaces out he's clearly not having a good time and this was the same guy that nurse barbie was talking about earlier barney barney ogden ogden. barney ogden yeah it's like mr ogden on ward three is hella depressed and this is mr ogden staring into space which totes i get jess goes over to the nurse's station and starts asking for change aka snooping around (laughs) and we meet nurse horton who You've called Nurse Ratchet? Yeah, Nurse Ratchet from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Nurse Horton is probably like, what, maybe in her 40s? Jessica's there minding her own business, and all of a sudden, Dr. Young White Guy and Dr. Middle-Aged White Guy storm in, and they are just going at it. They're bitching at each other. They're having a cat fight over God knows what, because Mm -hmm. they're just little bitches who are in competition with one another. And the middle-aged guy... They makes reference to the fact that he had humble beginnings, that kind of thing. Yeah. They take it inside the office, but the office, the walls are paper thin, so you can hear anything. Everyone's in the hallway just kind of listening. All of a sudden, we cut to what I can only approximate is a set of a 1980s submarine movie with the way the security is set up. I said it's a security guard company that looks like NASA. It has all these bells and whistles, but it's on like that that weird, like, wood, plasticky. <laughs> there is an alarm coming from Dr. Old Guy's house. They try to call. They don't get an answer. So they send some guy in a squad car. And then we see Nurse Barbie leaving the property in a yellow VW Bug convertible. The rent-a-cops get there, and OMG, Dr. Oldie is dead in the koi pond. The next morning, Nurse Barbie is giving Jessica a pancake breakfast in what appears to be some kind of sunroom of this hospital medical facility. And she continues to explain that this hospital is kind of like for pampered rich people. And then the old loud Texas lady, she's pushed to the table and she asks for coffee, but Nurse Barbie says... No, you can't have coffee. Dr. Oldie has prescribed carrot juice. You can't have t- you can't have caffeine cuz you're crazy enough already. So then Barney Ogden, the sad guy, walks by and he apologizes to Jessica for being rude last night. And then the loud Texas lady tells him to have a seat. And then they have some kind of weird conversation about how he's fine. He thinks he's fine. Everyone tells him he's fine. 
he's paying a thousand dollars a day for everyone to tell him he's fine maybe he's not fine we should add that loud texas lady is a fan of the put up and shut up school of thought on psychology she is pick yourself up by the bootstraps kind of kind of old bird she she is not putting up with any of that whiny self-pity bullshit from him then we hear nurse ratchet scream and she runs past where they're having breakfast she's followed by dr middle age who stops at the table and tells everyone that dr oldie was murdered last night jessica goes back to her room and there's a guy in there standing over table reading a book he's the lieutenant in charge of dr oldie's death i call him Lieutenant Fish Eyes, because he has fish eyes. I call him Lieutenant Babyface because he looks like he's nine years old and he has like this, this aw shucks way about him. He does have a very aw shucks, yes ma'am, just trying to do my best out here kind of vibe to him. But he does have fish eyes. Yes, he just got assigned to the fancy murder. He used to be on the wrong side of town. That's why he's there. He's there to ask Jessica for help. Because he's not used to these fancy folks murders. He's used to bar fight murders. From this conversation, we found we find out that the body is found in a fish pool near the front door, which is like this inside foyer area. The body could have been moved. And also the gunshot wound was at a 45 degree angle, which suggests he was sitting down when he was shot. So... Jessica and Lieutenant Fisheyes go to Dr. Oldie's house, and their lieutenant explains how the security system works, which is exactly how it works today. There have been no changes in that technology. They got rid of the wood paneling, I <laughs> yeah. think. That's about it. He explains that the alarm went off at 11.06 p.m. and that a security guard arrived at 11.15 p.m where he discovered the body lying in the fish pool. He also had interviewed a neighbor that heard a car backfire sometime at the beginning of the 11 p.m. news. So that was probably the shot that killed him. And then Jessica notices that his keys are are found outside of the front door. Lieutenant Fisheyes drops Jessica back off at the hospital and Jessica and Dr. Middle-Aged Doctor are having a chat as he's pushing her back to her room. We find out that Dr. Oldie had a lot of enemies. He fired a doctor last year and kind of spread the word that this doctor was incompetent and that doctor hasn't been able to work since. He apparently was a brilliant doctor, but very cold and distant. But Dr. Middleage says that they were very close and practically told him he was next in line. So Jessica does this thing that she usually does where she just kind of plays ignorant and says that from her understanding, Dr. Oldie and Dr. Young Guy were equally as close. And... Dr. Middle-Age says, oh, not a chance. Dr. Young Guy is a second-rate doctor. He's a dangerous street kid. You know, he even keeps a gun in his car. To which I say, this takes place in Texas. And I know that everybody in Texas has a gun. Literally everybody. That when you are born in Texas, they hand you a gun. And that having a gun in your car in Texas is not... I would think that not having a gun in your car in Texas is more shocking. 
So Jessica mentions that this new doctor they're supposed to be bringing in, what this new doctor is probably going to replace Dr. Young Guy. T says Dr. Young Guy is going to get the boot. And that Dr. Middle-Aged Guy is the heir apparent, and Dr. Young Guy, is his career is going to be over. Jessica mentions that Dr. Young must have been the doctor that this new doctor they were bringing in was going to be replaced by. And Jessica asks if, Jessica asks Dr. Middle-Aged, if he's been implying this whole time that maybe Dr. Young Guy killed Dr. Oldie. So next scene, Jessica is walking down one of the hospital corridors and she's nearly clotheslined by this young kid walking out of Barney's room. She goes in and Sadie, the loudmouth Texan lady, is close to follow her in. Barney explains that the kid in there was his nephew who's only around because he thinks Barney's dying and wants to be in the will. And then Jessica kind of like makes this comment that I was a little surprised by. And she says, well, you're not dying, Barney, but maybe you maybe you wish you were. And this catches Barney off guard and he's offended and asks what that means. And then Sadie chimes in. And says, well, it means that we're tired of seeing that sad sack frown on your face all the time. There's nothing wrong with you. Uh, Why are you still here? Don't you have some place to go? And Barney says, no, he doesn't have any place to go. His wife died. They didn't have any kids. His only family is that nephew and then some random cousins in Alaska. And then Sadie asks about friends. And Barney explains that he doesn't have any friends. And at this point, Sadie and Jessica are real tired of his sad sack frowny bullshit. And they tell him that he can come to dinner if he manages to put a smile on his face and not be so depressing. Well, and while Sadie, loud Texas lady, is giving Barney a piece of her mind, Jessica looks out the window and sees Nurse Barbie being escorted to a squad car by Lieutenant Babyface. According to Nurse Ratchet, Nurse Barbie is being interrogated because she was spotted near Dr. Oldie's house right before they found the body. Tex is back in the proverbial saddle. Jess wants him to defend Nurse Barbie, but she's broke as fuck and suddenly he's busy. Jess schools his ass, telling him that she got on a stupid plane and went to stupid Texas to testify in the stupid trial, even though she didn't want to be there. In polite Jessica words, of course. And he just kind of relents. Jess also wants to stay in the hospital to do some spying. It turns out Nurse Barbie has been released. They couldn't find any evidence to keep her. And Jess asks Lieutenant Babyface to go see the crime scene again. While she's waiting in the lobby, we see Poopy Sleeve Lady and Wyatt Earp coming back. And then she she tells Wyatt Earp to go get some oil contracts. And that's the last we see of them until the end. So they're just kind of there. I also thought, like, they're kind of supposed to be another suspect, maybe. Because it's, like, implied that Poopy Sleeve Lady is having an affair with Dr. Oldie. And that she's leading around Wyatt Earp by the nose with her money. And he got sick of it and decided to assert his manhood. 
they had no point except I think like they needed warm bodies to fill the camera shots. It turns out that Dr. Young White Guy and Dr. Middle-Aged White Guy are in charge now. They are co-administrators. They're still catty bitches at each other, however. It turns out nobody's mm-hmm. leaving. Lieutenant Babyface, on the way back to the crime scene, tells Jessica that Dr. Oldie left Nurse Ratchet a message on her answering machine, and she had just, Nurse Ratchet had played it around lunchtime, the day after the murder, and Lieutenant Babyface whips out his tape recorder and plays the tape, and it's just Dr. Oldie giving orders, and mm-hmm. he says something about Nurse Barbie, and then he says to change loud Texas lady to carrot juice because she's, like, losing her marbles. And this is just, like, kind of jumping a little bit ahead to later. We're supposed to get from this tape that there was, like, warmth and, like, human affection in this, but I'm not getting that. Not getting that at all. Like, if this is, like, him being tender, like, what does it sound like when he's an asshole? They go back into the crime scene, and they go into Dr. Oldie's home office. What it reminded me of, first of all, everything is leather. Literally fucking everything. Even the phone. Did you notice that? The phone is leather. And... Do you remember reminded me of? I caught a glimpse of this lamp and do you want to, oh my god, do you want to know what I thought? No, I... Do you know about Ed Gein, the serial killer? He used to make lamps from human skin. That's... Oh my gosh, like when he would make like the... Yeah! Like the and also that... Lamps and nipple belts. Yeah, there was this, this German woman, her husband was a high-ranking SS officer and she used to like, make lamps out of skin from... Holocaust victims. So that's why we can't forget history, you guys. Yeah. Because of shit like that. We're gonna move on from that. It seems that Jessica thinks the time of death is uncertain because the koi pond was heated to keep the little fishies warm. And she wants to do an experiment. So she asks Lieutenant Babyface to get some blanks for his gun. And then she goes over to the neighbor lady's house Neighbor lady is a little out to lunch. She thinks she's on a game show. They're watching TV at the same volume, supposedly, as they're recreating the the night of the crime. And they hear one shot. And neighbor lady says, oh, that's it. What did I win? They go out to meet Lieutenant Babyface again. And Jess says that they heard the gunshot. And the neighbor lady said, yeah, that's exactly how I heard it. The night of the murder. Lieutenant Babyface says, I have two shots. Jess ambushes Nurse Ratchet in her office where she's having a sad by herself. And Jessica asks this woman to kind of give her a picture of who Dr. Oldie was as a person. And she spouts off these things and Jess says, no, no, tell me the real him. I guess the, the intimate him. And she basically says, I know you guys have been doing it. And the mm-hmm. her premise behind that is that on this tape that she listened to in the mm-hmm. car with Lieutenant Babyface, that he the Dr. Oldie was being kind and tender, did not get that. I could I could see where he was maybe a little more respectful towards Nurse Ratchet as opposed to Nurse Barbie. But I I didn't get any warm and tender. She said she hadn't heard the tape till noon, and suddenly her soliloquy 
is interrupted by another carbon-based life form bursting in to yell at her that there are police and they have a search warrant. I guess they're in the nurse's lounge and they find a gun in Nurse Barbie's locker and Lieutenant Babyface says, Booker, murder one, which is, I think, our favorite phrase in this whole, this whole, like, ongoing saga. Yeah. And she insists the gun isn't hers and Jessica says... Of course, the gun's going to be the gun used in the murder. Nobody frames someone with the wrong gun. And she tells Lieutenant Babyface that he's wrong mm-hmm. and throws up her hands. And that's the end of the scene. Did you notice that <clears throat> when the officer picked the gun up out of the locker, he picks the gun up by the handle with a handkerchief? I, I guess to preserve, you know, evidence and, and preserve fingerprints. But then with his left hand, he touches the barrel like all over the barrel. Like he's like showcasing the gun as if he was one of those cute ladies in The Price is Right. Jessica is at Tex's office and Tex is on the phone and says something like, well, you can't arrange bail for that man. He's too dangerous. He'll be out in no time as soon as I get him acquitted which I thought was pretty funny. Jessica is there because she wants Tex to bail out Nurse Barbie. Jessica says it's very obvious that she's being framed, but it's not so obvious to Tex. At this point, Dr. Middleage comes in and tells Tex that the hospital stands behind Nurse Barbie all the way. They support her. They think she's innocent and they will even pay her legal fees. And he gives Tex a check for the retainer. Back at the hospital, Barney and Loudmouth Tex and Sadie are playing cards and he wins Jen and he seems very happy. This candy striper comes over to them and offers them beverages and Sadie asks for a coffee, but Barney tells the candy striper to give her carrot juice and he'll actually have a carrot juice as well. And at this point, we have the Jay Fletch aha moment. So Jessica is having her her moment. And in the background, we hear conversation that Barney and Sadie are planning a trip to Hong Kong in a month. And then Jessica just gets up and Irish goodbyes out of there. Jessica gets on a payphone and calls the, l- the lieutenant and tells the person on the other line that she has to talk to him immediately. So. Cut to the hospital and Lieutenant, so we're like in the lobby of the hospital, a bunch of people are out there. It's the accusing hallway. Uh Uh-huh. Because it's right near the nurse's station where they had that big fight the other day. So we're in the hospital, a bunch of people are around, and Lieutenant is asking Dr. Young about the gun. Specifically, he's asking, is this your gun? Dr. Young guy says, no, I don't even own a gun. And then Dr. Middleage interrupts and said, that's not what you told me. You told me you kept a gun in your car. And Dr. Young guy says, oh, well, I told you a lot of things. None of them are necessarily true. So then Jessica wobbles in on her crutches from like a back hallway and just starts berating the lieutenant, asking him why he's questioning Dr. Young guy. And then Jessica just starts telling him how to do his, do his job, asks if they trace the gun to Dr. Young, and Lieutenant says, well, no. And then Jessica says, this is just ridiculous. 
And she asks to have a word with him in that like administration room where the Dr. Young and Dr. Middle Age had a fight the other night. So Jessica and Lieutenant go in there and then she just lays into it to him again, asking him, he's like asking, have you done this? Have you done that? Have you done this and that? And Lieutenant responds with, I know how to do my job. And she says, do you? Because I'm starting to wonder. And now the camera is like showing everyone's faces because everyone out in the lobby can hear this exchange. And they are a little surprised that sweet little Jessica can be such a bitch. This also kind of important to set the scene. You have both Dr. Young and Dr. Middle-Aged. You have Puffy Sleeve Lady and Wyatt Earp. You have Nurses Barbie and Ratchet. And you have Tex, like, all just standing in the hallway. No explanation as to why all of these people are here, but they are. Then, in the middle of the argument, Jessica comes around the corner, and everyone is confused because they see Jessica, but they can also hear Jessica yelling at Lieutenant in this room. Then Jessica yells for the lieutenant to come out, and he comes out with, like, a boombox that is playing a recorded argument. Jessica then asks Nurse Ratchet, didn't we see a scene similar to this two nights ago when Dr. Oldie was killed? And Dr. Middle-Age pipes up about some kind of bullshit hocus-pocus she's pulling But then Jessica explains that it proves that he and Dr. Young could seemingly be in two places at once. She tells Dr. Middleage that he actually provided proof that he killed Dr. Oldie because on the morning after the killing, Dr. Middleage switched Sadie's coffee to carrot juice. But Nurse Ratchet hadn't heard that tape yet with those instructions because she didn't play that tape till after lunchtime. So the only way to have known about those orders was to still be at the house when Dr. Oldie dictated them. So, therefore, he was killed before 11 p.m., and then someone else had to go to the house, set off the alarm, fire the gun outside to establish the false time of death, and that all coincided with the two doctors' loud public argument that happened behind closed doors. Jessica then looks to Dr. Young Guy for comment, and Dr. Young Guy starts to speak, but middle age tells them to shut up, they don't have anything, and then Dr. Young Guy just starts spilling the beans, saying it was it was middle age's idea, but he went along with it, and then <clears throat> Jessica asks Dr. Young Guy to explain what happened, and then we're given one of those like flashback scenes. So Dr. Middleage went to the party, told Dr. Oldie he was leaving, but he didn't leave. After the party, he went to the den where Dr. Oldie was calling in the instructions for the next morning, and he waited for Dr. Oldie to hang up. He walks into the den and then shoots him with Dr. Young Guy's gun. Then Dr. Middleage drags the body into the entryway, grabs the front door keys out of Oldie's pocket, and then dumps the, bo- the body into the fish pool to kind of mask the time of death because the fish pool is heated. Dr. Middleage sets the alarm and then leaves the house. When Dr. Middleage gets back to the hospital, he and Dr. Young have that staged argument in the administrative room 
Dr. Young Guy sneaks out the back way and goes to Dr. Oldie's house, which is apparently only five minutes away. Dr. Young Guy opens the front door, which sets off the alarm. He then tosses the keys back inside and then fires a shot into the air. And then Dr. Young Guy comes back to the hospital and he sneaks back in the same way he left. And then both of them come out of the administrative room together. He also planted the gun in Nurse Barbie's locker because he knew the gun couldn't be traced to him. We've wrapped up the case and now Nurse Barbie is walking Jessica to her car and explains to Nurse Barbie that the doctor's just decided to put aside their differences to team up and kill Dr. Oldie so that neither of them would be fired. Jessica asks Nurse Barbie to write her and let her know how the lovebirds are doing, Barney and Sadie. And then Tex walks up, and we learn that her friend's case has been settled, so she didn't even have to testify. And he's just taken on a new case where he's representing those two doctors which we will discuss shortly. And I did not understand this. Maybe you can give me some insight, Elizabeth. But Jessica says, okay, thanks, bye, and then gets into the cab. And Tex says playfully, oh, is, is that all you have to say to me after all we've been through? And she says, actually, I do have something else to say. See you in court. And then she gives like a smile and... Tex is confused, and I'm confused. The first thing that I want to unpack is Tex now representing both doctors at the same time in the same criminal trial. So if you recall from our ethics class... This isn't inherently a conflict of interest. You can, as a lawyer defend or represent two co-defendants or multiple co-defendants in the same criminal trial. However, if it ever comes to a point where one defendant can flip or turn on or point the finger at another defendant and say, I am less culpable because of what he or she did, at that point, the lawyer can no longer represent any of those defendants because... The lawyer has a duty to both clients to represent them zealous, zealously, 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 zealously. The lawyer has a duty to represent all defendants zealously. And by representing one defendant that is saying, I am less culpable because of other defendants' actions, The attorney can no longer represent both defendants kind of what's the what's the word I'm looking for can no longer represent both defendants fully. There'd be a conflict of interest because in the defense of one, you'd have to undercut the other, which would negate or nullify the duty. And this is, I think, contrasted a little bit with a well-known case, the, the Menendez brothers in California, their father. They both had the same defense attorney. It was Leslie Abramson. Edie Falco. Yes. Edie Falco. Edie Falco. Her, <laughs> yes. She went back in time to these and defended her. She was, she was the, she, she was their lawyer in the, yeah, American Crime Story. So in that case, the, the defense 
that the Menendez brothers put up was kind of a combination self-defense, battered child syndrome. They had admitted to the act, but had claimed extenuating circumstances based on abuse, etc. In that case, the party line is pretty, pretty consistent, and one of the client's interests do not conflict with the other. So in that case, it would be fine. But then there's also the issue of trial mm-hmm. separability. And I'm not a criminal attorney, so I can't really speak to when it's necessarily prudent to separate trials or try them together. But I know in a lot of cases, they will move to separate trials for various reasons. Going back to the facts of this case, I would say he he can't take either one of the defendants as clients because he was a witness to the admission of the crime. And also, you can tell that from the last scene, they're both going to point the finger at each other. They're both going to blame each other. So I don't think he can take either of those defendants as clients. Well, I also wonder if there's any kind of conflict to, because he had talked about Dr. Oldie, the Samuel Garver Institute, being a client of his. Right. And him being up to his shirt sleeves in their business. If you're representing the business, or let's just say he's even handling this guy's estate, which he probably is, how does that conflict? I would say that that might. If he is representing the estate of Dr. Oldie, he's wanting from a civil aspect, wanting to get as much money out of the death as possible. Now, you know, he would be representing Nurse Barbie in a criminal case here. So maybe it's not the same thing. I feel like it would be one of those things that I would want to stay away from. Yeah. Just because we're sitting here puzzling over it. And I don't want to puzzle over it in front of a disciplinary board. We typically advise just generally avoiding situations where that could happen. So this is not legal advice because anybody who this applies to is already a lawyer. <laughs> Take their own advice. So. <laughs> so what do you think of the fact that Tex has defended Dr. Oldie in four malpractice suits, even though Dr. Aldi is supposed to be some kind of brilliant, incredible doctor. There is the kind of coloring the background of Dr. Aldi, like he's actually a shithead. His whole operation is just some glorified cash cow. And he's actually a really shitty doctor. And here's an illustration as to why. Finding that with the fact that he was really dismissive of Barney Ogden's issues and his doctors against each other, that can't be good for your patients. But then there's also the idea that medical malpractice suits are like, they happen for all reasons. Sometimes they happen because somebody's pissed. Sometimes they're legitimate. Sometimes someone's just trying to steal some money. There's a lot of bus ads in Baltimore for those attorneys with the medical injury question mark, wrongful birth injury or something. And, and, you know, forgive me for sounding elitist, but if I'm going to entrust somebody with a situation where my child was injured due to a hospital's error, I'm not going to pick the guy on the bus. Yeah. Not going to do it. Sorry. So interesting, or not so interesting, in Georgia, 
It is nearly impossible to find an attorney to take a medical malpractice case because the standard of negligence or malpractice is so low that a doctor pretty much has to be, you know, willfully malicious almost. I mean, it's, it's, did the doctor exercise any care? In making the decision, which is a very low bar. I'm thinking of the Seinfeld incident. You're meant, do you know about that? Where the the gang is watching uh, a surgery in like an old fashioned like kind of surgery theater, and Kramer is eating a box of juice, and one goes flying and ends up inside of the patient. I'm thinking of a situation in that. Do you think that would qualify as malpractice for letting this idiot? Uh, in Georgia, absolutely not. The doctor could say, you know what, I think this junior junior mint might help the patient and put it in the patient themselves. And it might not even be medical malpractice in Georgia. What if you leave a surgical sponge in there or something? I've only had surgery under anesthesia surgery twice. And each time I was terrified. Not that my doctor, my doctors were great. And everybody was great. I'm more terrified when I have general anesthesia. Is what if the anesthesia, like kind of puts me under to where I can't say anything but I can still like on that on that episode of Nip Tuck where she, like the patient was under but she could feel she could feel everything and she could hear everything what everyone was saying but she couldn't talk and let them know that she could still feel and hear everything so there's a brand new phobia for you thanks thanks for that I really appreciate it the one thing actually that I'm afraid of, it's more of an existential fear than like an actual fear, is saying something stupid. Whenever you're coming out of anesthesia and you're kind of like decide that everything, you're just going to talk. I would love to what some of these doctors says here from as anesthesia parents. So I can tell you a story about that. I was 18 and I got appendicitis. And so I went to the hospital. My mom was uh, a nurse at the hospital. So she had a, some more privileges than, than the normal patient would get. So when I was recovering, when I was in the OR, uh, they let my mom back there. But so I was coming out of anesthesia and I had two nurses on the side of me and they're waking me up and they're saying, what do you want to drink? What do you want to drink? And I said, and I was 18 at the time. And I said, I want a Long Island iced tea. <laughs> and they started giggling and they said, how about a Sprite? And I said, no, Long Island iced tea. Let's go party. <laughs> We're coming to surgery talk where all of your worst fears come true, both literal and existential. <laughs> but speaking of surgery, we talked about while we were watching this episode, potential HIPAA issues and right we had talked about HIPAA at least briefly before I think it was hurry for homicide where Jessica went and sneaked through somebody's medical records for some information about medication and that got me thinking I wonder a is anything that's going on in this episode would it be a HIPAA violation would HIPAA have existed and number two I reached out to my sister to get her expert opinion, her expert witness testimony on on some of these questions because she is an ER nurse. So I phrased my questions kind of in the form of, of what happened 
in some of these scenes. If you remember in one of the scenes, Jessica was in a treatment room. I don't believe it was her actual hospital room, but she was in a treatment room. And Dr. Oldie and Nurse Barbie are talking about another patient's treatment plan. And they identify that patient, Barney, by his name. So I asked my sister, would this be a HIPAA violation? And her response was that if Nurse Barbie and Dr. Oldie were in Jessica's room and started talking about another patient and identified the patient, especially by name, then absolutely, yes, it would be HIPAA. Now, we also have to remember that HIPAA allows for certain communications to take place during the hospital. Nurses and doctors have to talk about treating patients and what their plan is and what to give them and and all of that. So when we balance that out, if Jessica is in like in a hallway and overhears uh, Nurse Barbie and Dr. Oldie talking about another patient, that's probably not a HIPAA violation. In this context, it was some kind of treatment room. It was like a room where they just line people up to give them plaster of Paris casts, right? This one was a little bit more unclear but my sister leans towards it probably wasn't a HIPAA violation, but they should not have used Barney's name. They probably should have referred to him just by his room number. Um, and that's really interesting because there's been a lot of misinformation about HIPAA floating around recently, mostly due to the COVID situation and... I like to refer to that HIPAA as the H-I-P-P-A HIPAA. Oh. Because people with the misinformation and misunderstanding of HIPAA always refer to it as H-I-P-P-A and not H-I-P-A-A, which is the actual acronym. So HIPAA uh, applies to medical facilities, treating facilities, treating physicians, that they cannot communicate your medical history to people without authorization. Okay, so HIPAA does not apply to your employer. It doesn't keep you from voluntarily disclosing your medical information. It just keeps doctors and hospitals from spreading your medical information without your consent. Your boss might have information to if there's a health insurance issue, but your boss asking you to volunteer animation mm-hmm. as a condition of either hiring or continued employment, that is not a HIPAA violation. Your your employer is not covered by HIPAA. And asking you to reveal something, there are certain types of information, I believe, that are protected that you're not allowed to, that sure. employers aren't allowed to take into consideration when hiring you. Like, if you're pregnant. If I go in and I'm pregnant and they ask, are you, you know, are you planning on having children in the next five years or something? And I say, well, I've got a butt in the oven right now. They, they can't ask that because I can't factor in their decision. But mm-hmm. if you have a disability that can't be reasonably accommodated, then it's not against the law to, to not hire somebody because mm-hmm. it's just, it's also a safety because the reasonable accommodation is a big part of it. Long story short, if your employer wants you to be vaccinated or if a job interviewer is asking you that, like, don't start shouting at them. And those fucking medical exception cards to vaccines are fucking bullshit on a stick. So, <laughs> fuck you <laughs> if you do that. 
Hopefully nobody who listens to this podcast does that. And if you do have a medical exception, I'm sure that it is 100% legit. Yeah. And Jesus is not a medical exception. No, Jesus is not. Sorry. The last thing I wanted to tack on to the end was that Jessica oh. is originally in this Texas place to testify at a trial. I assume it's a civil trial because they talk about countersuits, <laughs> but it's not clear what the cause of action is because she mentions plagiarism saying that this friend of hers had been accused of plagiarism and that's why there was a trial as far as my research has borne out plagiarism is not a cause of action nor has it ever Mm -hmm. a situation where i stole laura's to kill a mockingbird essay and turned it in like i'm an asshole but like that didn't harm laura in any way But if Laura wrote a novel and was set to publish it for, you know, a million dollars, and I stole her plot and all their characters. An academic violation and not a a civil wrong. If the court finds that it's sufficiently similar to violate copyright, then I could be on the hook for damages. If I write, I don't know, fan fiction or something and just put it on the internet, I guess Technically, I've stolen the characters in the plot, but I'm not doing anything. I'm not trying to benefit from it. So I've read, read fan fiction from time to time on those certain fan fiction websites. And I don't know if this has any legal implications, but when I read those stories, they will say, I do not own these characters. These characters are owned by Dick Wolf, Jerry Bruckheimer, or whoever. I I don't know that that has any like legal force, but it would kind of I at least in my view serve as evidence that they're not trying to like pass things off as their own. Mm-hmm. It's not a legal disclaimer. It's just them saying I acknowledge that these like this is a fake story that with characters I borrowed, they're not mine. And then with the the people that write fan fiction, they're not or at least from what I can tell, they're not making any money off of it. They're just posting these on blogs for everyone to read. That's It's not even that they're making money from it. It's that they're not harming the original content or creator to the point where they, were, they would lose money. It's not like I write my own Twilight book and put it on the market and it it uh-huh. cuts into the author's market share. I'm going to write this trashy thing and maybe I'll make a couple bucks off of it on the internet, but I'm not harming the author. So Laura, did you like this episode? Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. It it did that thing that I love where if you're really paying attention, it it gives you a little bit of hint as to done it. So in this case, when we see the I think the nurse or the candy striper giving Sadie the carrot juice that was called in that morning or that was called in the previous night. However, we learned that Nurse Ratchet didn't get those instructions till the afternoon. That if you're paying attention enough, like that's the little bit of evidence you need to narrow down and figure out who the killer is. So I did enjoy that. I mean, there was just a lot of just white men in this episode and it probably not even not more than your average number of average white males that are in every other episode it was just a lot to kind of keep all of these white men straight in this one 
Yeah, especially because, like, they're all doc. They're basically serving the same function. They just have different names and they're at different points in their lives. You're not looking at white doctor and white lawyer. You're like, white doctor, white doctor, white doctor. I literally would write the wrong one down and cross it out. Yeah. It was fine. I mean, I'll give it a six ashtrays. What about you? I just thought the the whole thing at the end was just so complicated and convoluted and unnecessarily. I feel like there would be simpler ways to kill him and establish an alibi. And also, mm-hmm. I see how she explains it, but that's not something in my mind I would go to. I, I was sitting there, okay, I know the character is significant somehow. And I know it's probably one of the doctors. Yeah. Right. Right. And it's like, here's a 20-minute explanation of what happened. You're right. Even even if you did pick up on the carrot juice, because the nurse says Dr. Middleage prescribed this when it was actually mm-hmm. Dr. Oldie that called it in. But even if you did pick up on that, you're not going to automatically assume they recorded an argument and played it while one person snuck out and did all of this stuff to establish a fake false time of death there was there was a lot of creative leeway i would say and then you have your two random ass characters who are just fucking there freezing and oh my god it was just i feel like some things were done right it was a little too complicated but at the same time it was yeah like very basic we weren't surprised by who the killers were but the plot was so fucking convoluted that that's, that's what surprised me. Not the perpetrators, but the method. So what's your rating? Five and a half. Okay. Yeah. I was going to be a little bit meaner. You like <laughs> persuaded. You softened me with kind, your kindness. Yeah. Your kindness. Do you have a golden gravy for this episode? I do. It was very hard to think of a golden gravy because there's just not a lot of like doofus characters in this episode. I ended up giving it to Barney just because at first Barney is like Eeyore and he says, oh, you know, I think I lost my tail. I'm real depressed. And then when someone says, hey, Barney, you're not depressed. It's all in your head. He's just like, oh, yeah, I guess I'm not depressed. I guess it is all in my head. So, yeah, that's that's who I gave my Golden Grady to. That is also my Golden Grady. <laughs> because... I mean, I wouldn't, I didn't use the Eeyore characterization, but I think that is spot on because he was kind of just like moping around and staring at the TV and kind of wringing his hands. It's the kind of disappointed you get whenever your mom doesn't let you go out with your friends. But it was, it was funny. He, he just, he seemed pleasant and kind of being led around by a woman seemed like he was in his comfort zone. So uh-huh. that was very, so yeah, <laughs> uh, I give it to Barney as well. Also, he had, did you see his really pajamas? Yeah, with his name. Had, like his name embroidered. Yeah. Yeah. If you spend $1,000 a day at a fancy hospital, you get a bespoke robe. You should. That's how I feel every time I have to do something. A free thing. <laughs> like, okay, fine. Like, if I'm going to have to sit through this boring ass CLE, I'm going to get a token or something. Oh, I don't get it. I don't get stuff for going to a CLE. I mean, neither do I, but like, I'm saying if you have to go to like a conference or something and they're giving away swag yes. and you really want it, yes. and you're just like, I'm here or if you steal towels from the hotel. So, 
Do we want to talk very briefly about next episode? We are nearing the end of season one because this is actually our 21st episode. So our lovely little podcast is old enough to drink. Woohoo! And she will be having a Long Island iced tea because she likes to party. I was going to say... <laughs> what drink is she having and why is it a Long Island iced tea? Episode 22. So, according to the IMDb, Jessica visits Peggy Shannon, whose ex-husband Johnny is a big star, but a terrible, beastly, abusive boss for their gentle son. Composer Mickey Shannon in his Desert Palms residence. I, wait, no. Just, what the fuck is this? This is, I'm going to go back to the better version. So... Jessica reunites with her college roommate at a desert resort and probes the murder of the woman's ex-husband. Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. Let's just see real quick to see if there's any special, special guests. Who knows? Who knows? So thank you again to people who rate, rate, review, and subscribe. Except to you, Brian. Brian. Come on. Fuck you, one star, Brian. Your name is from now on. So check out our webpage at MurderSheWoke.com. MurderSheWoke.com. There you can email us. So email us. Constructive criticism, not mean things. Don't just leave one star and run, fucking coward. Yeah, you little bitch. And also, if you leave a one star review, we'll berate you on. Because <laughs> we have nothing better to do. Anyway, so thanks again for listening. And remember, <laughs> stay, stay woke. woke.